Hi, I'm Kirk Flagg. Welcome to the PEO InSync podcast. In each episode, we will take you behind the scenes to explore the ever-changing PEO world. We will talk with the industry legends, the people whose hard work and creativity shape the PEO world of today. Also, we'll interview current industry leaders, those who are using their own creativity to grow and expand what it means to be a PEO. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoy today's episode. Good morning, everyone. I want to uh, share with you the wisdom of someone who I consider a very good friend, but we probably don't see each other as often as we'd like. Um, Tom Jacobs, I've known Tom since I got into the industry in the late 90s. Um, There's a funny story about uh, Tom and I trying to do a NAPIO uh, legal advisory council meeting at once upon a time, but maybe we'll save that for for later in the interview. Tom, how are you today? I'm Tell doing great, Kirk. Um, um, uh, I have to say here in Madison, Wisconsin, we have a brief moment where our weather is just like it is in San Diego. <laughs> well, good. It's so, so nobody's working. <laughs> so it's 80 degrees and sunny and the breeze is blowing off the ocean. So that's good. We're off the lake. and Well, like you, um, as an attorney, uh, uh, I, I used to practice law here, and uh, the counsel from Chicago and Milwaukee would always get mad at us here in Madison because if it was a good wind day, everybody went sailing. Judges cancel hearings, depositions are canceled. It's like, you know, we get like five of these. <laughs> we're, we're going sailing. Well, let's start off a little bit about you and how you got into the PEO industry. I know you have an MBA and you have your JD. Um, but how did that lead into the PEO industry? Well, it was interesting because I was in a private law practice. I did uh, insurance defense litigation, a lot of workers comp, unemployment comp. So I have you know a very broad HR background and understanding of that. Uh, I was uh, decided I didn't want to be like my partners and work 70 hours a week in the town of Madison, Wisconsin. I should move to Chicago and make some real money. So I made a quality of life decision, went as in-house counsel to an insurance company, and I was blown away by the notion of having breaks, and you got to go home at 4.30. And uh, building a family, I've got four kids, and uh, it was just a good quality of life decision. But that actually was pretty boring. I went over to the uh, business side of it. I got an MBA through the company that... Uh, the insurance company and and uh, actually ran their government affairs division and got to do some lobbying in DC and uh, ran their marketing department and got some you know classic marketing type uh, uh, background the application that I was able to uh, try to carry through to PEOs but it turned out as I'll say later perhaps uh, none of that carried forward it's just a way different animal uh, but then I got a friend of mine tapped me and said you got to help me grow my staffing company. So I went to work uh, for a QTI here in Madison, a largest staffing company in the area. And uh, I ran professional technical division. And we looked at this notion of PEO and thought, 
you know, maybe we should take a look at it. So in 1994, I went with one of my partners to the Del Coronado Navio Conference, my first one. I believe I met Jim Mack there. Uh, oh, you know, there's just, yeah. there's just a lot of old timers that were, were at this conference. It was like the first big conference. It was kind of, it had a real buzz about it. Uh, but we thought uh, mistakenly that we would be able to keep people on payroll beyond temp to hire. Because if they're in the PEO uh, uh, section, then they'd stay on. Well, uh, so we went to the conference. And um, one great story about the conference about marketing, uh, Greg Hammond and Ted Kazaklis had a small law firm in Ohio. Right. And I was, I was, it was very, very remarkable, remarkable because at uh, the conference, they basically found the biggest round table in the middle of the bar. And they had cigars and whiskey and people were lined up because nobody else were self-professed experts at, uh, at PEO law and all the, the variances. And they, they, they had a line. I was so impressed by that marketing technique. You know, I learned, well, you got to think outside the box, but, uh, but kudos to those guys. I know they both done great. And, and, um, uh, but that, that was, uh, that was our first, uh, my first foray into it. So we started up the PEO, uh, but here in Madison, Wisconsin, nobody's heard of it. So I did uh, lunch and learns uh, at accounting firms and um, law firms for credit, CE credit, uh, NCLE credit. And it was a great way to get the message out of this is a whatever billion dollar industry at the time. And your clients are about to come to you and say, what is it? Well, here's what you need to know. And they're taking notes. So I basically built the business up through trusted advisor type of uh, strategy uh, right. for marketing and, and uh, got into the HR side of it. It was, uh, and listening to Bill Manis and Abe Finkelstein and, and others and how they got into what their models were, uh, I would say in the Northern area, it's more like Kansas in the sense that uh, people aren't looking for a better deal on benefits. They never even heard of what you're doing, but they want to outsource uh, those activities that's dragging them back from growing their business. And they want to be in legal compliance and they're small companies that don't know. So Basically, that's uh, what I set up. It was uh, HR. It was the profit center. I um, had uh, 8810. It's pretty much my whole book of business. 8810 means it was clerical, which is a very low workers' comp rate. So that wasn't an uh, area of interest for me. Uh, uh, I don't think I ever turned in a claim. My mod went down to 0.72 after three years. Uh, so, uh, and, and interestingly, then I got the biggest client from um, uh, CNA Unisource in Wisconsin. And it was... Um, uh, hospitality. So now all of a sudden I'm running, running this extremely high premium rate through at a 0.72 mod. Now I got everything that Delwood and everybody down South was telling me about why you have to co-employ because uh, uh, it's it's the, uh, the those other profit centers that are important. But um, I was a little worried about that because I felt I was kind of uh, uh, denigrating my book of business in the sense that I had managed it so well. And now I had to, you know, be on top of a whole different area. So my goal and passion in the PEO was basically to, uh, be a, uh, the HR attorney and, and stop by it. I was, my top 10 clients were local. I'd stop by and, and drop off payrolls. And that became such a great thing as far as, you know, building relationships and, and getting people to, um, I guess, really appreciate your business and stay with you. Uh, I think HR is the most intimate type of relationship you can have with a company as a vendor. You know, there's it's an extremely right. high level of trust. Uh, I'd come in on Fridays and then I'd go, oh, good, Tom's here. Hey, listen, come here. 
we got to let Frank go. I go, oh, how old is Frank? Well, he's 52. Oh, well, what was his last review? Oh, it was really good. <laughs> and <laughs> get it. okay, guys, <laughs> we got to rethink this here. Uh, but uh, but I got into this real interesting area in um, Madison. We're like the fourth uh, best biotech center in, in the country in terms of the university and the like. So all these professors are spinning off DNA splicing companies and uh, so I basically catered to them. They would have three or four employees. Uh, then they um, uh, would grow. You know, they'd get all these grants. These people know how to get grants. And the big trick for them was to actually make money and not have grants. So, But at least for the three, first three or four years, they grew to be like 50 plus people. And I lost some of them because they didn't really need a PEO. You know, it was kind of, you know, a, a lot larger scale. So they'd hire their own HR so that's what got me into, I was actually, I think, one of the pioneers of the ASO industry, because I let them know early on that when you get to um, 30 or 40 or 50 employees, then we go ahead and have this kind of adjusted type of um, platform for you. Where I put a person on site for a half a day or a day, you know, depending on the needs. And um, it worked out really well. So, um, you know, I felt that the ASO was was a really good way to go because you were using the same resources that you were using for your PEO, but they were bigger. And it was about yeah. the same amount of work. So, you know, you're making a lot more money, I thought. And um, before you uh, get too far into that, I, I just want at the time, you know, no one thought you could do ASO and make any money because the pricing model being used by PEOs was, oh, well, we have to charge less for the mm -hmm. ASO. And in some degrees, it's more work because you're using their benefits. Yeah. And, you're using their 941, you yeah. know, the federal tax ID number for 941. So I was on Pay Plus work. at the time, and yeah. Pay Plus actually had the ability for me to have an unlimited amount of companies. I would just, you know, put their 941s, yeah. basically use the same platform for stuff. And I'd get into huge arguments with people um, who you know, we're very passionate about what the PEO model should be. I was actually on the PEO board of directors. Bob Burbage asked me to to be on it as the vendor representative wow. back in, I think, 2002 or three. And uh, at the time, NAPIO, which is a great organization, NAPIO uh, 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 was pretty down on, on the ASO movement. We're bringing people in to say all the disadvantages, like you said, that you'd have to charge less, you know, it's like, and I just raised my hand. So are you kidding or charging more? It's a whole different sale. You know, you're basically replacing a whole HR department. And if you look at what the cost of somebody of 60 people or, you know, a company that size of just to bring a person in, I could do the whole service for less money than they would. I could charge more per uh, per individual per month. And they got the best of everything in the sense that um, I'd come in and do sexual harassment training or, you know, they I'd have people come in and I'd uh, people in our organization that were were experts at training or experts at handling a certain situation. It wasn't one person who's probably promoted from the accounting department and said, you know, you're HR and uh, now there's somebody's going berserk on the loading dock. What do we do? You know, that sort of thing. Right, so, right, so right. it was a, it, I, I really felt that it was a whole different sale. Um, I've done like you, uh, Kirk, I know you've done a lot of consulting with PEOs and I've, I've done that over the years after I left the PEO industry and, and uh, it, it's, it's, pretty much that you can get a much higher level of, uh, I guess, you bring, bring uh, brought to the table uh, from uh, uh, setting up a, uh, an ASO type of situation, and you can actually charge more for it. Uh, the 
problem that a lot of PEOs have of going ASO is they use their same salespeople who uh, have been selling the PEO side, and you just can't sell HR that way. You know, right. you basically need a whole new set, uh, a whole new skill set of, uh, 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 of of people to to come aboard or, or to at least go and and show that this is what the HR side will look like for you uh, coming with us compared to what it is like if you do it yourself. So it was a very different thing, and and uh, I think I've just been rattling on. Sorry about that. No, no, that's fine. I think you have some great wisdom on this, and I was just going to say um, that I would encourage some of the newer PEOs, the startups who are just trying to feel out their way uh, to reach out to you to see how you did it, because in my response, in my mind, yes, you're like Bill Manis. You put a fence around Wisconsin to some degree, and you provided high-level um, customer service. And you can do that as a small PEO and make quite a big name for yourself. At this point, I think it's time that I share that uh, legal counsel. We, You and I were supposed to give a presentation to the NAPIO legal whatever, Legal Affairs Council in Washington, D.C. We were on the Legal Advisory Council. We were both on the Legal Advisory uh, Committee at that time. I got a call from you and said, Kirk, I can't make it. The, uh, the company's being sold. Well, first of all, you and I reconnected pretty much at the last CFO conference in Chicago. Right. I hadn't seen you for years. And I actually love it that the first thing that came to your mind was that that was really grinding you that I did that to you. <laughs> <laughs> that just tickled me. That you know, as soon as you saw me, went, oh, you know, <laughs> Niagara Falls. <laughs> you know, it's uh, it uh, it just was uh, it was funny. But no, what what happened was um, interestingly, I've learned you know in business, I've started the PEO as a company. I've started. Uh, Eflex Group as a TPA is what I do now, and now PEO Auxiliary, which is the TPA. Started a number of companies. Uh, I learned that being a minority owner that is actually in charge of like growing the business and uh, managing it and like that. If you're a minority owner, it's kind of like indentured servitude. You don't have a lot of flexibility in terms of uh, 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 well building the company up for sale that benefits you, or or you know managing your shares and the like and um, I just thought that I needed to have my own company. So one would think that I would go. So, and that's what I was doing. It actually, the deal was just supposed to be done. And, and Kirk at that time, the deal fell apart and I was uh, kind of doing a hail Mary <laughs> to, to save it. And, uh, and luckily did, and, uh, you know, was able to handle that, but uh, I apologize again profusely. No, no, I, I just you up. I'm sure you did great. And, and we'll have to do something again, at the legal advisory council. So, so you went from PEO to a TPA. It so happened the vendor that I had for flex plans at the time and Cobra, uh, he and I built special documentation for PEOs because there's no recognition of co-employment under section 125 of the IRS code. Um, so it's kind of like a real gray area. And uh, I've kind of developed the mantra that gray uh, PEOs in the world of gray from a legal perspective and gray means go, you know, and, and having defended companies before workers copy, you know, equal opportunities commission and like all the administrative law judges want to know is that you as an employer or business owner are cognizant of the law that you know what it is, you know, otherwise they're just going to rub your nose in it and, and, uh, 
and and find your you know find your client or 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 whatever. But if you go in and say no, I'm I'm aware of what the law is, and I'm following it, and to the best of my ability, this is what my trusted advisors told me what to do. Then you're in a situation where they go, oh well, listen, you almost got it right, but let me help you, you know. And then you know you're on right. good grace. So um, I. Going back to there's no co-employment under Section 125, we actually crafted special plan documents and special kind of ways of dealing with PEOs that had worksite employer clients that were under the PEOs, um, uh, health plans, you know, PEO-sponsored plans, benefit plans, or uh, a lot of them have their own client-sponsored benefit plans. So, you know, what do you do with a flex plan? You know, and the sponsored benefit plans are governed by state law. The um, uh, federal government is, is actually regulating uh, uh, the flex plans and the like. So uh, there's just a lot of wiggle room. So as long as you follow the rules that you've got a plan document, you've got a corporate resolution showing that this qualified benefit has been approved by the board, you know, for these people. So you can pass all the things that you need to pass an audit. Uh, you're looking at claims and, um, and you're doing non-discrimination testing, you know, all of that in the, uh, PEO world is is really complicated because do you do non-discrimination testing on a client by client basis? Well, Roger Ravel, remember that name, right. would say yes. And uh, and and indeed in 2002, the IRS came out with a revenue ruling for 401k plans saying that all of the clients should have their own uh, type of plan or you know their own division or whatever that that they're all like separate considered separate. Well, the IRS never did that for Section 125, and uh, a lot of attorneys would say, "Well, you know, the IRS wants you to you know do what what they're thinking, or you know the uh, the 401k rules borrow or 125 rules borrow from the 401k rules, so they didn't want you to do it this way." But to me, that was just an attorney employment act type of thing, you know, to give them more work. Uh, and I've been on panels with Harry Becker of the IRS and, and Fred Knauss, and uh, they don't even think about this stuff. They don't have it in their mind at all. As long as you follow those basic rules of having the plan document, doing the non-discrimination testing, you're good. And if you're just doing the best you can, you're good. You'll survive an audit. And frankly, in all, I've had over 130 PEO clients with EFLEX, and now we're up to about 52 um, on PEO auxiliary, another interesting story we'll get to, but um, uh, just being in compliance just serves you a, a long way. So basically what we did was I, uh, with my uh, partner at the time, uh, we started EFLEX group in the year 2000 and um, Roger and other people, you know, people we knew in the industry, we had these relationships, got us set up with a few clients and we took a flex plan and uh company, which typically is a Monpa regional type of deal, because you can only really service a, 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 an area as far as you can drive in a day to do employee meetings. We basically disrupted the industry by being the first to go online. This is wow. year 2000. And so we didn't have employee meetings in person, you know, but we had clients and all over the country, we became a national country, uh, company right away. Right. Uh, yes. Go ahead. Um, and and it, it, and so it was very easy, you know, to pick up on the PEO stuff because I already had the PEO model built as far as documentation and the like. And uh, we built up a clientele um, over the years uh, uh, through, you know, just all these friends and relationships that you build through Napio and the like, you know, it's just like 
just built up a great book of business with with a great group of people uh, in the PEO industry. Um, interesting, though, when I sold Eflex in 2014, only 18% of my book of business was PEOs, excuse me, and, and the rest was uh, through brokers, you know, basically just through insurance brokers like Gallagher and Lockton, you know, just any broker that would sell health insurance would sell our stuff alongside of it. So um, I actually got out of the PEO space because I was building up California very heavily. I had a deal with Blue Shield where I was doing their back office HRAs. And, you know, I just got I, I got away from the industry and I hired somebody to come in to take care of it. But it just wasn't the same. And when I got done with the California project, I thought, you know, I'll just go back and do PEO. So I did that uh, uh, flex plans, COBRA, HRAs, HSAs, you know, basically um, the pre-tax employee benefits and, and some ERISA uh, compliance. Uh, but, you know, basically did that. And in 2014, um, we sold our company and my business partner and I just really needed to sell and uh, sold it to a larger company that was uh, um, promised to support the PEO industry, but basically didn't. <laughs> so, uh, so it was a, it was an interesting um, phenomena in that I found that all the relationships I had, they were now calling me saying, Tom, what the heck, you know, <laughs> and asking for help. And I thought, well, uh, once my um, non-compete or non-solicitation is done, uh, uh, I'll just reboot eFlex group. And that, that's what I've done with the PEO auxiliary. Um, and I got back into it, not you know, because I was anxious to go and, and start another company, but I just really had to take care of all my friends that I somehow felt bad about, you know, leading them and then selling. And I had to give them a good home. And, right. and that's pretty much why I got back into the PEO auxiliary. I've got uh, great people with me and um, uh, a lot of my old eFlex um, uh, people are, are now uh, serving the same groups that they had served for, you know, 22 years <laughs> Uh, now and and uh, it's just been a great ride again to get back into the PEO space to work with all the great relationships and people that I've had and to uh, you know build up a credible organization that that uh, that is solely focused and I'm not doing any broker th stuff which I love and it's just solely focused on the PEO industry. Interesting. Um, I was just thinking as we were talking, are you going to have are you going to be at the uh, Palm Springs event? Are you going to have a booth there? Yeah, um, we'll have a booth. I find that um, uh, whenever I've had a booth, I'm never in it because I'm just <laughs> always walking around and uh, uh, and talking to everybody. You know, it's like I don't really need yeah. a booth, but I thought, you know, I'll support an APO and have the booth. And, you know, I do have to have a presence. There are uh, competitors coming in and, and uh, uh, you know, trying to gain a foothold. And through the years, whenever I've seen competitors in my space come in, they hang around for two years and then they shake their heads and go away and go, I thought this was going to be really good, but you know, somehow they just don't get it. And, and uh, that, so, you know, I'm, I'm maintaining a presence. I do see competitors coming in and uh, where I see is kind of a threat, at least to my company and also a threat to the PEOs is uh, they'll get into a, a flex or Cobra service with the carrier that the right. carrier offers. And it looks like really good on paper, like everything's going to be seamless and everything. But the problem with carriers is that they don't really pay attention on the Cobra side to uh, products that aren't theirs. So like, how are you cobring uh, the health FSA? Or how are you cobring any other benefits you have from somewhere else? So there's right. a lot of non-compliance happening. 
And especially when you get into HSAs and FSAs, you know, you issue debit cards, you do all this stuff and get people set up in accounts. And then now, three years later, you decide to change carriers. And now you've made yourself a huge mess because you can't stay on their Flex and Cobra anymore. You got to change. Are you going to go to the new carrier? You know, and so I've maintained that the PEO auxiliary, you know, the eFlex and PEO auxiliary, we've always been carrier agnostic, but you're always, we're always your partner. We're the only TPA centric TPA out there or a PEO centric TPA out there. And um, when you change carriers, you're not upsetting the apple cart because it seems like FSA is small and uh, HSA is small, but that really gets to participants that you're, replacing or, or or juggling things around there and and they don't you know they want to see a more stable platform they want to see the type of technology where they can do everything on their smartphones you know there's just like a lot of advantages for a peo to partner with a company such as ours that is really dedicated to the industry and has always routinely provided a very high level of service so so that's that's been our model but it's interesting to see like what sort of changes are coming about uh and um that just rattling on again no, that's fine. <laughs> Tom, I wanted to have you on in part because, you know, I like you as a person, but you also have your heart in the right place. You're trying to take care of your friends. You're trying to take care of the people that have helped you grow your business in the past. And that's that's really, I mean, you didn't take the money and run. You actually are back helping people out. And, you know, we go back 20 plus years in the PEO industry, you know, and it's, that was a time, and I think it's still true, where people just wanted to help one another out. And certainly the mission of this podcast is to get people like you to share your wisdom with those who are starting up. So let's just jump off there and I'll give you another chance to rattle on. What what advice would you have for someone, a small startup PEO that's maybe started or about to start, you know, no more than two or three years old? Well, I think like you, Kirk, kind of a benefit for us is seeing how the industry progressed. Before um, 1999, say, you know, it was a pretty ma-and-pa type of thing, regional, a very successful PEOs. And then all of a sudden, Wall Street got involved and people were making a ton of money on IPOs. And and you'd go to NAPIO meetings and there would be a room where this is what you need to know when you're at 5,000. <laughs> and yeah, then no, another exactly. room was, this is what you need to know when you're at 10,000, you know, and like, it was like this frenzy. And I just remember uh, Bob Burbage pulled me aside. I really respect that guy. He's a, um, a Genesis out in, in um, uh, Boston. And he said, Tom, you know, I'm really happy being at like 4,500 and just keeping it there because I've got a wonderful, uh, solution. My clients are my friends. They really like what we do. You know, we have a great model and it's just really easy to manage. And, and I'm just really happy, you know? So, so I think that just always stuck with me. And as you got through this, it seems like, you know, even now there's a lot of VC money coming in and, you know, people are kind of like ramping up to sell and the like, and um, I just love it when people like um, Dale Hageman come up to me and say, Tom, would you help us out? We're starting a PEO. And I go, are you kidding me? Why would you do that? He just says, well, the time is ready to, go, to start. And he started Spirit HR and um, it's his heart is in it. And you know yeah. what he's got is, is the relationships. You know, I think people get back into it because they have got great relationships. And just like me, you know, wanting to take care of my um, people that I've known for years and years and my friends, 
they want to do the same, you know, and they've made the sale decision and, but they're getting back in, even though it's a really tricky and hard industry, they're getting back in to, to, to basically uh, have the kind of relationship business that's, that's good. So I guess if you're starting a new PEO, a really good question would be, why are you doing this? You know, is it to build a recurring revenue stream that's really attractive to VCs or is it to be an HR, you know, help, to people uh, in your community and and to be able to enjoy that 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 kind of a company, so starting up, I guess I'd say eh, the technology side is hard because it's such an investment now. But um, uh, but I would say get into it and be a higher margin business that adds that level of um, like you say the Nordstrom <laughs> white glove touch. Uh, so that, uh, you know, like like I was doing, I'd drop off payroll and then handle HR stuff, you know, but get get to that level where you're just a trusted advisor, because there's nothing better as a business owner than having that kind of trust from your clients that the, you know they would never, ever go anywhere else. And anytime they have a problem, they call you. And it's just a very satisfying way to to live and, and, and to, uh, you know, grow a business. Well, I just wanted to add a couple of footnotes to uh, what we've talked about so far. At that time, you know, 20 years ago, around 2000, I was with a PEO that was 20,000 worksite employees. (laughs) And that was, I believe, the fourth or fifth largest PEO in the country at that time. ADP didn't have a total source division at that time. Mm -hmm. Uh, Insperity was called Administaff. And I think there was a company called Trinet uh, run by yeah. Mark Babnick. Yeah. Uh, and, and none of them were public. And it was really interesting. And the other name that you dropped, CNA Unisource, well, they haven't been around for almost 20 years. They were CNAs in Chicago and CNA Unisource was headquartered out of Elkhart, Indiana. Yes, yes. I, know, I know that because I interviewed for uh, their general counsel position uh, there, um, years and years ago, and wow. they ended up shutting it down. So they didn't hire me at the time. So, oh, well, you know, that's a good thing. Yeah, it's a good <laughs> thing. I've had a lot of these, uh, well, near misses. disappointing at the time, but it turned out yeah. okay. Well, CNA Unisource was actually the, the PEO, or I said, I got their largest client in Wisconsin. Someone right. indeed was going berserk on a loading dock and they called up their HR number and got, uh, email or a, a voicemail. I mean, they got a voicemail and they didn't get a response back. And they thought, well, that's not <laughs> going to help us from an HR perspective. So uh, that's that's how I got the business locally was, was right. being mobile. Well, well, the interesting thing here, and I, I don't know that it's appreciated, is the importance of HR and service to clients. It's not just technology. It's not the lowest price. And I think you alluded to it earlier. Sometimes it takes a little different salesperson to make that make that uh, sale to someone. It's 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 very true. I, at least in the type of model, and like I know in Florida, the the there's just so many in Texas. You know, I, I see. You know, I've got having had over 130 PEO clients at Eflex, and now about 52 or so with the PEO auxiliary. You know, I've seen it all. And there's just a spectrum of PEOs. There's those that are extremely well run up front and they didn't have problems with the uh, economic downturn. And what was that 2001 when all of a sudden all the insurers were were, were pulling out of the PEO industry because they uh, had to rely on an an underwriting income (laughs) because there was no investment income. 
so, you know, when, when things were tied up, it was the PEOs in the back of the room that were just kind of smiling that had managed very well on the front end from an underwriting perspective. And the ones right. in the front of the room were, were sweating because they were just, you know, I've consulted with one PEO where they basically were taking all the business from local brokers where the brokers couldn't put them anywhere right. <laughs> from a health insurance perspective. So, you know, a death spiral down. So it's, um, it's, it, it's, um, I don't know. It, it, it's it's just very interesting to see how that progressed. But I just really enjoy working with the, I guess, the very large spectrum of PEOs. And uh, from a flex plan perspective in COBRA, I've seen it all. And uh, HRAs, health reimbursement arrangements with uh, the ICHRAs, the individual ones, or um, the uh, QSE HRAs, you know, for small business, there's some really, really good fits for uh, worksite employers that aren't offering group health coverage, but want to pay and cover individual premiums on a pre-tax basis. So that's been a big growing part of our business. And now um, I've been able to uh, develop a relationship with an HSA uh, partner of ours that actually pays uh, interest on cash accounts oh. on HSAs and allows for first for dollar investment. Yeah. So I'm hitting all my PEOs up going, this is a really good service. You know, I found that TPAs that do HSAs, they make their money on the cash account. Well, I've, I found a partner that's willing to to share and and basically get compensated in a different manner. And, and uh, it's been very satisfying to to have people in an HSA that uh, they're able to actually make money on, on their account and maybe turn it into a, a retirement vehicle. And my last question is, tell us something about Tom Jacobs that most people don't know. Oh, I've got something for you. All this... <laughs> All the stuff I've been describing is simply what to do as a day job. Right. I'm, I'm a jazz musician. Ah, I didn't I, know uh, that. Yes, I uh, actually. So that's why I say you know jazz musicians need a day job. So 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 this is what I've been doing. But I've really had delight in all the travels that I've had over the past uh, twenty years or so. Um, I Tilson HR, a great client of ours. Um, on Wednesday night at the Slippery Noodle in Indianapolis is open mic night. Uh -huh. And I played there several times. And both times I played there, they asked me to join the house band. Uh -huh. So I thought, I've got work wherever I go. You know, the last thing I want to do is put my drums in the car at two in the morning on a Saturday. You know, I'm kind of a little too old for that. But uh, but that's just, you know, one of my delights is, is, is to uh, arrange business meetings or visits around certain clubs that have open mic nights. I played in Nashville and L.A. at Harvell's and, and some other ones. So that's, a, that's something about me a lot of people don't know. But uh, uh, there you go. Very good, Tom. You know, it's my pleasure. I'm glad. I, I knew you were going to deliver for me on this podcast because you're so knowledgeable. You, your heart's in it and you're just a great guy. So thank you for appearing. And uh, if this uh, drops before the Napio conference, go over and say hi to Tom at his booth because he's not going to be there. He's actually going to be running around saying hi to people he knows. Oh, oh, you can look for me. And I really appreciate your inviting me on the podcast. I love what you're doing. I've listened to the other ones and uh, people have great advice. This is a really, really good resource. And, uh, you know, I encourage you to keep doing it. Thank you, Tom. You're very welcome.